Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop, and I am so excited to get into a very deep character arc with Justin here. Now, age 28, massive failure, and then reborn like the Phoenix to build a $50 million company. I can't wait to get into this. Talk to me, Justin. Please give me a little bio on yourself. Sure. And then tell me about the story. Yeah. Um, today, I run a small boutique advisory here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I support early stage SMB SaaS founders, usually under 10 million in recurring revenue. And I advise their businesses to help them scale up toward 50 million. Um, prior to that, I spent five years at a company called Patient Pop. I served as the VP of sales, the SVP of sales, and then eventually the chief revenue officer. Uh, before that, I spent five years where I was a sub 10 employee at a company in New York City called ZocDoc. Um, in various leadership roles. And prior to that, as we'll probably get into, I was pretty much a massive you know, failure ac- across my sales career up until I joined ZocDoc. So that's, uh, that's what I do now and sort of my, my arc of career. Amazing, man. So what was this, uh, what was this failure, man? What, what was it that you went through? What was, what was the high point? What was the low <clears throat> point? There were no high points. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, well, that, that just tells me that, that you don't have a big ego because sometimes we think we're at a high point, but we're actually not. Oh, yeah, there was no way to think of, think of it as a high point. But um, <laughs> I, I don't think my story is all that dissimilar from, from other people. And I think maybe that's why it resonates, which is um, coming out of school and landing in, in sales is hard. Um, you know, my dad was a salesman for 50 years, uh, for, he spent the first 40 for the same company. And I got, you know, my parents had a nice house and two cars and, you know, we lived in a farm town in Ohio and I was like, Oh, this is sort of life, right? This is what you do. That's what I was going to do. And, um, you know, I got into pharmaceuticals and I I just was really immature. I, I wasn't ready to commit to a career. Um, and there weren't all the resources that people have today through blogs and webinars and podcasts, but even if there were, I would not have. I would not have done anything with it. Like, it's just the person that I was when I was 21, 22. And um, so I screwed around a lot. I didn't go to work very often um, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a manager. Like, I was a field salesperson. So there was no manager standing over my shoulder. So I had, you know, it was the Wild West for me. And so I got fired from my very first job. Um, I think I was there for maybe maybe 10 months, 11 months. Um, I went on to a second pharmaceutical job. I was there for longer. I was there for about uh, three years. And um, you can blend in in pharma. Pharma, you carry team quotas and you carry team quotas across like how do you influence physicians in the, the city? And so I was able to blend in, but eventually I got fired and I, I got caught lying about um, the calls that I was making, which basically that describes type of human being that I was when I was, you know, 25, 26 at that time. Uh, and then I went on to um, med device where um, I did earn a territory after being an associate, which is kind of like an SDR. And, um, you know, I was an older SDR and, um, you know, went on to get my own territory and I got fired in 10 months after I was, um, you know, I got caught interviewing at another company and my, my boss, my boss fired me. So, um, that, those were all of the points, most of them lows. Um, and so that's, that's how my, my career started. Mm. And what would you say that you, what was like the, 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 the darkness behind that? Like, were you, 
was there some element of fear of failure or apathy or not giving a crap? Like, what, what was it that you think, like, if you go back into that moment, yeah. you know, what was, what was, if you peel that onion, what was there? It's hard for me to think about that based on the, the human being that I am today. It's so mm. strange to think about. But, like, if I go back and think about where my mind was at during that time, I didn't understand that I would be working for the rest of my life. Like, that was like, no, come on, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. This is terrible. Like, I just couldn't like understand the idea of going to work every day because I think the the underlying thing was that I hadn't found something that I was passionate about. Like, I hated going to work. It was it was miserable, and I didn't want to do it, and so I so I didn't. And I think I would I had come from an environment where. I had been having a lot of fun. I had been focused on all the things that gave me great feelings. And I didn't believe that that existed in the workforce. I was like, oh, work is terrible. That just is what it is. Now I grind for 40 years and I, I'm miserable during those 40 years until I retire. That's just what I assumed was the the arc of life. And um, I think that's why things changed when I got to ZocDoc. Like when I got there and we can kind of dive into that. You know, the people were so smart. The product was so incredible. The city was so awesome. It was New York City. I was living in all these small cities up until then. And um, I just instantly got a glimpse into what a really cool, exciting, fulfilling career could be. Yeah, that that makes that story resonates with me. It makes a lot of sense to me. It's it's you know, there's there's this paradigm shift that I think that happened, uh, you know, decades ago now where a lot of maybe our generation, we saw, you know, what our maybe fathers, maybe mothers as well, uh, you know, went through and the, the the strife that they endured to bring home a paycheck and to provide for us. And, you know, they put their helmets on and they went with their lunch bills and they did what they needed to do in the, in the coal mines. And what we saw was, you know, potentially a parent that was maybe not fully happy with their career, but they just had to do it. And I think that mentality, it's changed now. I feel like now being a founder, being an entrepreneur, you know, being working for a, a tech startup, working for a company that's getting off the ground, that's changing the world. That's the coolest, sexiest thing ever. You know? Yeah, it, it, it's, it was interesting because I think mine was actually slightly different, which was I watched my dad go to work mm. every day for the same company for, like I said, 40 years. And at that point, it was, you know, probably 25 years, but he loved his job. And so when I, I ultimately ended up working at the same company, which I got fired from. And when I ended up at that company, I was like, oh, I don't like this. Mm. And my dad loves this and I don't like this. Now what? Mm -hmm. That was my plan was to do that. And then I found out that I didn't like that. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so what, what do you do now? And, um, you know, Ruben, I didn't understand that technology or the industry existed. <laughs> like the idea of like startup technology companies, I didn't know what that was. You know, I got very lucky that they found me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I think uh, people that are naturally talented in sales, uh, once that talent is discovered, uh, the, the possibilities are infinite, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's a soft skill, but it's, it's hard to learn. <laughs> I mean, you can learn it, but it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very hard. And I think it requires a lot of self-discipline, mm. a lot of motivation, self-motivation, yeah. and a lot of like self-learning. I think almost... If you ask every sale, every top performing salesperson how they got good, very few of them say, "Ah, oh, I went through an amazing training program." <laughs> you never hear that. You hear right. like, "I I cared a lot about this. I wanted to be really good. I I worked with my buddies. I worked on myself. I pitched my wife. Like I did all those different things. Like, and that's why I think I stunk so bad at it is because I was so unmotivated for a long time." 
And what is the advice that you would give folks now, entrepreneurs or you know people that are not necessarily happening, happy in their current situations? What would the advice that you would give them be to to kind of go to the next level? Yeah, like for me, I think there's there's benefit in building. And so um, if I were coaching or or talking to a group of college students who are you know getting ready to graduate and head into the the, the world, like I don't know, take risks when risks are easier build something, build something of your own, right? Like go try and figure something out online. Today you can build anything. You can open up a Shopify account, right? You can build on Gumroad. You can do, you can sell knowledge. You can sell experience. You can sell a physical good. There are so many ways to graduate college and be a CEO. And will you fail? Maybe, like probably. Most 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 people fail when they go to start their first business. And But the lessons that you'll learn will be so fun and so impactful and so, you know, uh, valuable over the course of your career and to take risk when you're 21. And I'm not suggesting that everyone can do that. There are financial circumstances, there are family circumstances, but if you are, you know, fortunate enough to be able to do that, that's what I would recommend because you learn a lot, you figure out what you like and what you don't like. And it's the age that you're ripest to take risk. Like, you know, I started my own company when I was 38 and luckily I had a good career underneath me, but I still felt like it was a big risk, you know, because I have a family. And so do it, do it when you don't. Mm. You know, there's, there's that perpetual cycle, which is you need money to make money. If you don't have money, then you can't make money. In order to make money, you have to have experience. If you have, if you want to get the experience, you have to get the success in order to get the customer that gets you experience. And it's just like this perpetual cycle where it's a, it's a mentality. If you don't have it, if you don't start with something that just comes from within, you're never going to unlock that. You're never going to be able to solve that problem. You know, what do you say to people that that have that excuse? I don't have the startup capital. I don't have the experience. I don't have the network. So on and so forth. Yeah, I mean. Boy, it's a, it's a great question. I think that if if you, if that's the excuse, then maybe it's not meant to be. Like, mm. I think that risk is hard, and I think that most people are in the same circumstance coming out of school. And there there are people who silver spoons, right? There are folks who come in with you know trust fund money. There's all that stuff, right? I'm not talking about those people. That that, that makes life a little bit easier. Let's let's not fool ourselves. But like most people come out of school with credit card debt. I came out, mm. you know, school with $25,000 in credit card debt. And I didn't have some of the tools that were available today. I, there's no live video on the internet back then. So, you know, we all have access to these, these really low cost tools that make building really simple, right? I think, like I said, Shopify, Squarespace, Gumroad, you know, uh, uh, any any sort of video sharing, StreamYard, like what you're doing here, like to me, it's start simple and take really small risks, right? Go out and help someone do something at a very low cost. Document everything that you do in helping that person, that business, whatever, accomplish the goal that you're trying to help them accomplish. Take everything that you did during that experience, package that up and sell that, right? Sell that as a service, sell that as a productized service, sell that as a product. There are many different ways to actually package up your experience and make a living. And I think a lot of people are afraid of what I call like this, am I an expert kind of question they ask mm. themselves. And I don't know, like you can't wait until you're an expert because what does that mean? Like I built my own advisory firm and if I would have looked at all the sales leaders who had built businesses that were twice as big as the one that I built, would I have come to the conclusion that I wasn't ready or not, not the right expert? 
Like, what does that mean? So I don't know, just get started and, and start learning and take the learnings that you have and start to figure out how to monetize those learnings. That's what I encourage people to do. It, it's not easy, but nothing worth doing usually is. Mm. And, and, and now that you're kind of um, settled into your spot, what would you say your, your daily flow is now to kind of stay abreast of what you're up to, to yeah. continue to grow? To, to continue to be a, a, an expert, but then also a student at the same, at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because I don't consider myself an expert. I just consider myself someone with a unique experience that is generally helpful to other folks going through a similar experience. Um, an expert, I am certainly not. Um, but my, my week is how I think about sort of my future, which is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I, I schedule my clients, the, the clients that I help uh, advise in their business. Mondays for me are for, for high level brainstorming. Like what should my business service productized service or product look like 12 or 18 months from now? And I'm going to work on that on Monday, the strategy, the long form, like all the different things I want to do over the next, you know, year or two years. And on Friday is kind of like a recap day for me. It's, it's kind of like, Hey, what went really well with my clients? And then it's also organization for the next week because each week I'm trying to get more efficient. So on Fridays, I'm asking myself, what could I eliminate, right? What should have, what should have I eliminated during this, this previous week? What can I systematize or automate? What kind of systems can I use? How can I use Zapier or other tools to take manual processes and make them more automated? And then what can I delegate? Who can I hire on Fiverr or Upwork to go and get something that's a bottleneck in my, my, my product or service to get that out of the way very quickly. And that way, when the next Monday rolls around, you know, I've eliminated, I've automated, I've delegated, and hopefully my time will be more efficient this week. And I'll go through that same exercise again on Friday, and hopefully the subsequent week will be even more efficient. So I think through those systems at the end of the week, and that, that's sort of my, my overarching, you know, weekly strategy. Mm, nice. You know, there was, this, uh, there was this video that really resonated with me which I've seen multiple times now, which is actually by the CEO of Constant Contact. And hmm. the title is something to the effect of the slow ramp of death for SaaS companies. And what she talks about in this video is how SaaS companies go through this really slow ramp up of growth. And there's product market fit, and then there's you know pricing dynamics, and there's unit economics evolution, and there's organic SEO hmm. and paid advertising. And it's this journey, right? Competitors enter the space, prices get decreased, all sorts of economic factors that cause so many things and movement and shifts. Uh, and that the vast majority of SaaS companies are on, again, that slow ramp of death. What, what advice would you give to, to SaaS founders? Um, Dub is a SaaS company. We are a video messaging company. We mm -hmm. are used by 30,000 businesses now, and we're in, this, we're in the hustle you know, every single day. We're creating content. We're building tech. You know, as TK Trader uh, says, uh, you know, we we ship code and we close deals. That's our process. Yep. Um, give us some advice uh, to the SaaS founders there on how to go from this slow ramp of death to that hockey stick. Gosh, I mean, it's interesting. I, I might cop out a little bit here, but like, I'm I'm never a huge fan of giving advice without all all of the appropriate context. Um, that that's been a key in my sort of, uh, having happy customers. But I would say the first thing that I might think of is there's, there's generally, th there's generally three things that I would, I would look at, right. To see if you're on the right path. The first one is just go to market. Like how do you actually take your product to market? Is it, is it the right way? Or is there a more effective and efficient way to do that? Oftentimes I have conversations with people who are growing, but when you look at how their team, 
teams are structured and how they're going to market with their product, like the unit economics at some point are just not going to make sense. They're selling a hundred dollar a month product with an SDR and an AE that they're paying 200K yearly combined and they're generating eight units a month. Like it's crazy. They're, they're never going to make any, any money that way. So the first thing that I would do is just analyze their go to market. You know, the second thing that I would do is analyze their, their high level conversion rates. The things that are most important to me are how many, what's our win rate? Like how many customers that we talk to are saying yes to our product, but probably the one that's overlooked and more important is how fast are we getting to yes? So if nothing else changed, your win rate stayed the same, the amount of customer conversations that you had stayed the same, but you closed deals twice as fast, you would do twice as much inside the period of the same time. And that to me is super beneficial. So how do we get to yes much faster? That would be something that I would analyze. I don't have advice because I, I don't have anything that I'm analyzing here. But then the third thing that I would look at is, do you have the right team in place for the type of scale that you're talking about? So sure, it's easy to build a team that grows slowly. It's actually not that easy. It's easy to build a team that fails. It's hard to build a team that grows slowly. It's really, really difficult to put all the right pieces in place for a team that's going to take you to 50 or 75 million or $100 million in recurring revenue. And oftentimes the folks that come in in the beginning of a business are stretch, right? They're, look at me. Like um, I came into Patient Pop as a stretch VP. The goal was for me to get the business to like three or five million. Uh, amongst other things, I got lucky and got it to 50 million, but that was my cap. Like I was ready to step down there. I didn't have any more value to add to the business. So like they, I, I basically suggested to the co-founders, you need to find someone who's taken a business to a hundred million or 150 or 200 million. And so I think the, the last thing is just, do you have the right people at your business, you know, at 5 million to get you to 50 million? And if the answer is no, you have to make some really, really challenging choices. Mm, nice. That's a, there's a lot to think about there. You know, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And what is it that, uh, that your firm is up to now? How do you provide value? What are some of the things that you're trying to solve for your clients? Yeah, most of what I do is I help my clients avoid expensive mistakes. Mm. So oftentimes when I get a client, they're on their third VP of sales, right? They've misfired on their first two um, or they've mishired a COO and they wasted a ton of time and a ton of money and their, their backs are against the wall and they want to make sure they get choices right. Having me on your team certainly by no means guarantees right choices, but I do think that I have unique experience, specifically in early stage SMB SaaS, to help improve the likelihood that you make great hires, have the right systems and processes in place, right? have the right go-to-market strategy, and to really analyze your team, to look at your team like I talked about and say, are these the guys and gals that are going to get you to the next level? And so today I don't do any general consulting. I don't build pitch decks. I don't build sales playbooks. I don't coach reps. I don't do any of that stuff. What I do is I act as a partner to the COO or the CEO in helping them make really tough decisions for their business and giving them a leg up on you know providing unique insights to all the mistakes that I've made over the past 10 years. And that's where the value comes uh you know the the founders you know that that are my customers talk to me about that's the value yeah that that model resonates with me i think one of the things that i've, I've noticed is that you know there's this idea of work needs to get done right when we think about marketing when we think about <clears throat> operations you know i think that the the beauty point of a business is when you've systematized or created processes for 80 percent of the business obviously there's an evolution and there's growth changes, dynamics. Uh, but most of a business, I believe, on that trajectory can become systematized. Sure. And 
I, I think one of the things that's really interesting, and I think one of the toughest decisions for a CEO, chairman, founder type to, to, to battle with is, do I go hire someone with 10, 15 years of experience that's going to cost a chunk of money and mm-hmm. then know that they're going to need an entire staff underneath them, which is a very you know hefty investment? Or do I think about this in a more entrepreneurial way and say, well, I kind of know what needs to be done. Why don't I go hire an expert? Why don't I go, you know, onboard some sort of a process that's been proven for other business and then ramp up sort of a bottom up strategy of, you know, team members, folks, people that are doing the work. Uh, this is always the hardest balance for me. Sure. You know? um, what What is your take on that? How do you respond to that? Yeah, I think that you can put systems and processes in place that allow you to scale. But if they're all pointed in the wrong direction or they're all systematizing the wrong thing, then mm-hmm. I think you're I think you're in trouble. I think that's where ex, you know, expertise comes in. I think that, you know, if you're building a business that you want to scale to 100 million or 200 million, um, you're probably not going to get there as a solo founder building a bunch of processes and hoping that you can scale to that level, right? You're going to need people who are really good to say, you know what? We do need a system. We do need a process. We do need to automate a lot of this stuff, but we need to make sure that we're doing it in a very specific way. And that's where the the expertise comes in. That's where going out and paying for the person who has done this six, seven, eight times, in my opinion, is probably worthwhile, right? Um, so that's how I, I would think about that. But I think I also think every business is different, right? I think that um, some businesses can rely more on systems and processes. Other businesses require a lot of humans um, with, with great experience. I think each business is very different. In general, my, my process would be hire the right person and have that person build the processes. That's mm-hmm. how I think about it because that's what I did. Like people often ask, can you tell me what you think a major part of building patient pop was. And I'll say the same thing every time, which was I hired people who were a lot smarter than I was at very specific things and got out of their way and allowed them to build the systems and processes that they knew worked. And that's what helped that business really scale and grow. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that, that I hear about a lot and that I also kind of suffer from is that the more research I do on the internet to, to learn about things, you know, as a, as a tech founder, <clears throat> The more Google learns about me, and of course, they advertise sure. to me on certain topics. So, what I have been just noticing continually for the last twelve months is, is actually guys that look like you and me, with fancy backgrounds, fancy mics, sure. <laughs> headphones like this, yeah. that are telling me that they've scaled a business and that they've done all sorts of amazing things. And here's the car, and here's the house, and then I need to, you know, buy their their program, their coaching program, so that I can realize the success that that they've <clears> gotten. Uh, what is your take on that, on being on a path, but then, you know, being faced with either A, a distraction or B, a, a, a guide, actually, where that investment is, 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 makes total sense? Yeah, I think there is such a thing as self, in, whoops, self-investment. Um, and I think there's a thing as over-investment. <laughs> and so let me, let me give you an example. Right now, I'm trying to learn a very specific skill. And anytime that I want to learn a specific skill, I'll usually invest in myself. And mm. by investing in myself, I mean spend money and spend time to try and learn something, right? And so I went out and I purchased something from someone who I admire and think does a really good job at this particular skill. Now, I spent the money. I went through the, the, the knowledge, the learning center. It's awesome. It's amazing. I'm really, really glad that I bought it. Now I'm getting served a lot of the same things that, that you're talking about. 
it, it takes some really good discipline to not get re-distracted. I think once you find the right investment, you consume the right knowledge, it's now on you to push those distractions aside and actually have a bias towards action because you can consume all day. And like, it's a problem that I have. I love information. I love knowledge. I'll read, you know, I'll watch videos. I'll go on YouTube. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll buy courses. I love that stuff. Um, but at some point you got to stop and you have to actually have a bias towards action because all the knowledge up here is, is great, but it doesn't mean shit if you don't do anything with it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's exactly right. You know, there, there is, there is such thing as being in a perpetual loop of wanting to acquire knowledge because you believe you're going to succeed into something. And I think that one might realize at a point if they are in that loop, that they're just simply hiding behind something and that it's, it's really fear that's preventing them from doing exactly what you just said, which is executing, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, executing means that you start to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. Most people like to be you know, risk averse and starting means risking. And so it's easy if you keep consuming because there's no, you can't fail at consuming. Um, but really you're failing in the long term if you just consume nonstop. Yeah, well said. So where can we learn more about you? Social, website address? Sure. Um, easiest is LinkedIn. It's Justin Welsh, W-E-L-S-H. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin Sass. That's Justin S-A-A-S. And then you can go to my website, which is the official Justin.com. And you can learn about the different services that I provide. Amazing. And you have three dogs. And how do you get your dogs not to bark during your uh, video calls? Well, we are in a new house that we moved into 10 weeks ago in Nashville, which is bigger than our home in LA. So that's a good start. Um, they are downstairs right now on our screened in patio uh, with my wife, um, probably barking and you just can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well said, man. Well, this was super insightful. Justin, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, man. Ruben, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Stick stick around. I'll end the broadcast now.